Hello, and welcome to this Speed Listen installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast, featuring everything you need to know about the new Western series, Legend of the Black Rose, in under 15 minutes, give or take. I'm Paul Bishop. My compadre Richard Prosh and I co-host the full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, but usually ride solo for our own Speed Listen bonus installments. Today, however, we are teaming up to talk about the new Western series from Wolfpack Publishing, with which we are both involved. Hey, Rich, how are you? Hey, Paul, I'm good. I've been excited to do this because we don't toot our own horn very often on the Six Gun Justice podcast, but today I really want to show a little love for our new Legend of the Black Rose series. Yeah, I agree. It's a really unique series that's a lot of fun. It's a package series, which is interesting. So, Paul, could we start out by talking about what is a packaged series and how does that work with Wolfpack Publishing? Back in the day, in the 60s, 70s, and even into the 80s, a publishing company or a book packager would come up with the concept for a series and go out and find the authors who they would want to write for that series. So the books could come out in very quick succession, either once a month or once every other month. So it would need several authors to keep up with that kind of a pace. Lyle Kenyon Engel was the big gun when it came to book packagers. It was a regular way of doing business in publishing, but around the 80s and 90s, it began to slowly die out. And at Wolfpack, as the acquisitions editor there, I had the opportunity to talk to Mike Bray, the publisher, and say, hey, look, let's try this again. And we began to develop series concepts and find the authors to write them. And we had a lot of success with the Avenging Angels and the Gunslinger series. And it came time for a new series to come out. Mike came to me and said, what do you want to do next? And I said, off the top of my head, how about Nuns with Guns? (laughs) Which is pretty much what we've got here in a lot of ways. I have no idea where that came from. It just popped out of my mouth. Mike paused for a second and said, I like it. And now I'm stuck with trying to figure out what in the world Nuns with Guns meant. I went on the internet and I looked up nuns on the frontier. And oh my goodness, I found out all kinds of stuff about what these women did in the Wild West on their own virtually, bringing in outlaws, building hospitals, having all kinds of adventures, playing hit and run with Mexican guerrillas during the Mexican-American War to try and bring aid to communities that were stricken. It was just like an adventure story all on its own. And I really didn't have to add a whole lot to that to make it into a real exciting series. I think that's a good point. There's a real historicity behind this, even though as you read each book, you will see they are pulp adventures. There's a lot of Western fast action, but there is some good history behind it. Nuns on the frontier were important. They did a lot of things with the old Spanish missions that were still around in California. They often came from the east and had to cross the treacherous west on their own and all the different problems that they would have. So it's a really interesting concept as far as the history. But you brought a lot of other things to it, though, too, Paul. There's some Zorro in there. There's some other things, too, right? Yes. As I began to create this character, you've got to tell a story around these women. And a lot of them had a background that wasn't very nunnish, to coin a phrase. I began to think about this and think about somebody who may be reluctant to be a nun, but is drawn into a convent for whatever reason. And Zorro was always a very big influence on me. I loved the swashbuckling. And I began to think about if Zorro and Xena, Princess Warrior, had a love child, it would be the Black Rose. 
I became enamored with this and came up with a background story of Catalina Rodriguez, whose upscale family is slaughtered and she's on the run and she ends up at a convent at a local mission down on the Mexico-Texas border. And there she takes refuge and hides out as a nun. But the mother superior knows that she has these special talents. And we begin to learn about the things Catalina is able to do. And when you brought it to me, you said, we've got this character. She's not a nun, but she's hiding out in the convent. Maybe she uses the nun persona as a secret identity of some kind because she does have talent, some athletic talent, some fighting talent. Where did that come from? Why does she do that? And so we worked together to start to figure some of that out. We did. I have what I call a writer's treasure chest where I keep ideas I come across during everyday life. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but at some point I will use them in a story. Sometimes they stick around for five, six, seven, as long as 10 years or more before I'm able to use that idea. And one of the things that I'd had in my writer's treasure chest for a long time was the idea of a urami, which is a whip sword. You can wear around your waist and uncoil it and it's steel and it extends and telescopes out. And it's a very dangerous martial arts weapon that was around during the time period that The Legend of the Black Rose is set in Old California. When I began to really start to dip into what this sword was all about, it's a very difficult weapon to learn how to master. And boy, does it look flashy when they do it on the videos on YouTube. So I just felt this would give the heroine really a different take on how she would use her skills to fight back against injustice. It wasn't just a whip. It was a whip sword. It was come out of nowhere as a big surprise. You then started to add in your own take on what we were talking about as far as the nuns that she came into contact with and the Order of the Black Rose. Yeah, the mission at Santo Tomas we created was a typical Spanish mission in California that had been abandoned by Spain, but was still in use. And we had to decide what could make this mission unique. There's a priest and then there's a series of nuns. But I did a little research and out in the Old West, water was really important. No matter where you were in the Old West, you needed to find clean water. And especially in a desert area in West Texas on the Mexican border, springs are important, obviously. And so what if there was a sacred spring? What if there was a spring that maybe had a legend around it, a legend of mystical healing properties, that sort of thing? Somebody would want to protect that spring, and you would want people there who were proficient in weapons or proficient in defensive skills to protect that. And so that's where we started to find the origins of Catalina's skills and how she, she got those. It turns out Catalina and her family have protected the springs, and that's kind of started to set up the initial plot line. And we bounced that back and forth quite a bit. We did. And the more we talked about it, the more ideas were sparked. We began to see Catalina Rivera was a orphan who was adopted as an infant, and she has no idea this comes into play when her powerful family is wiped out by her adoptive father's evil brother who wants the land under the mission. We now have set up our protagonist and our antagonist. We know there's going to be the confrontation between the two. 
And one of the things I like that you brought to the character is she is proficient in the use of the urami and she's very athletic and she's been taught all of these things by her adopted father, but she isn't a superhero yet. She makes mistakes. She lets anger get the better of her. This becomes a very dangerous situation. She's almost her own worst enemy. She is. In a lot of ways, there's that early Marvel Comics idea that the superhero isn't perfect and the hero needs to have some sort of flaw to overcome. Her flaw is she's young and inexperienced. She's got the skills, but she doesn't have the discipline. The convent is a great place to teach discipline, and the mother superior, who also has some ties to Catalina somehow, we won't give it away here, but somehow she does, and so she cares for Catalina and can teach her that discipline if Catalina will learn it. And that's something that I think, Paul, we decided would travel through the entire series. That's not something that Catalina is going to get right away in the first book or the second book. That's part of her character building throughout the series. It was a good challenge for the authors involved. It was. The other dynamic to this is she's here with these nuns. Catalina's hiding out as a nun, but she wants nothing to do with being a nun, or at least she doesn't think she does. The more she becomes a heroine, the more she becomes involved with the nuns, the more she begins to have a calling, but wants to deny it and fight against it. And the mother superior, whose own personal background is pretty hairy, she decides to let her run with this and just tries to guide her to help her find her way through this. She's not pressuring her, but she needs Catalina there because she knows she has to protect the springs, and Catalina is her best weapon to do that. Another thing we brought into the mix when we were talking about this is the Mother Superior's ultimate plans and ultimate objectives. And she has a Mission Impossible team, for want of a better description, (laughs) in her plans. I think you brought that to the table, Paul. I like the idea of in each story, there would be uh, new nun characters who were brought in, whatever their skills were, whether they were builders or fighters or whatever their skills were. Catalina would need them, and she would go to these nuns and bring them into the fold, into the Order of the Black Rose. It was a way of expanding the characters. So at the beginning of a story, just like in Mission Impossible, Catalina would go, okay, I need this character, that character, and this character to complete this mission. It was a way of bringing in all those other influences I'd had growing up and combining them into a unique new take on those characters and those types of situations. The series is just ripe with possibilities for authors. What you brought here is something you can hand over to an author and ideas just start springing up. We've got some great authors in this series. It's written under the A.W. Hart house name, but there are some guys like Charles Gramlich, Eric Beatner, great writers who have pulled together these ideas and contributed some of their own. Can you give us some of the titles that are coming out, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. The Legend of the Black Rose, of course, starts it all, which was a book written by you. You also did the follow-up. We have Fire of the Black Rose, Siege of the Black Rose, Vengeance of the Black Rose, and Curse of Black Rose, Fear of the Black Rose. Everything to do with the Black Rose. It was a way to keep that character's name in the forefront of those stories. I reached out to a number of people who you and I know that have been involved in the series that we've packaged before. Charles Gramlich has a new series coming out that we've packaged called Concho about a modern-day Texas Ranger. But he took the Black Rose and really ran with it like you did. David Foster, who's in Australia, of all places, also came in with his own pulp-style take. 
Mike Barron, who is well known in the comic book world, wrote Curse of the Black Rose. We have looked to a number of different writers to bring their unique take on this. Eric Beatner and I go way back to when we were doing the Fight Card series together, as I do with David Foster, who also wrote for that series years ago. Then I knew I wanted to get a female writer's take on this, and I turned to Nancy Hansen, who has a great series about a female pirate named Jezebel, as well as many other unique stories. I took this concept to her. And Nancy was on board with it immediately, and she turned in a book I think is a very exciting take on this. Readers are going to love this character and clamor for more. One of the reasons I was so excited about it is it's a character, once you are familiar with, you can easily see this as a movie, as a series of comic books, a whole series of things. This is a great, iconic character. I'm really happy to have been a part of it. And it's available in very inexpensive ebook format at 99 cents each through Amazon as well as in paperback. I would like to encourage our listeners to give this series a try, see what you think, send us your comments, leave a review. We appreciate all the support that you've given us. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. And that's it for this bonus Speedless installment of the Six Gun Justice podcast. Thanks for listening. Remember to check out our website at sixgunjustice.com, where you'll find regularly updated reviews, articles, and interviews from the best of the Western wordslingers. Prior Six Gun Justice podcast episodes, Six Gun Justice speed listen installments, and Six Gun Justice conversations are continually available on all major podcast streaming platforms. Till next time, be safe, stay healthy, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and keep an ace up your sleeve. Adios, amigos. Let's ride. <laughs>